Some put on a suit, but he ran the other way. His drums drown out the others, and the ones who couldn't dream. This freedom music gave him was worth more than anything. They don't know what they got. D'Agostino bringing some good music as always in our intro. It's always always interesting to see what Dave has in store for us. Welcome to the Man on Second podcast on the rapidly growing Real Voices of the Game Productions Network. I'm Joe Frasaro, joined by co-host and overall uh, the glue to what Real Voices of the Game is in Dave D'Agostino. And we're back again with our mission, as always, to raise the baseball IQs of our audience. And um, we will do that again today with a guest who's no stranger to our show and a good friend of mine in this sport, Mr. Todd Hollinsworth. But we bring before we bring Holly in, I'm going to bring Dave in with a few announcements. Dave, yeah. buddy, how you doing? Doing great. Super excited to have Todd back. Uh, it was great. He had a great following the first time he was on, so we hope that cult following continues today. But to our 16,500 subscribers now, Joe, we jumped again. We want to thank you guys. Continue to download, listen, like, subscribe. Much like Major League Baseball, we battle those algorithms um, and analytics. So rate and review us so we can beat those algorithms of po- the podcast world. Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher is our streaming choices. If you have another one, let me know and I'll subscribe to it. Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Um, I'll I'll respond to one person every day live on Facebook and then everybody else, 311 today. So I have to get back to 310 people today with private (laughs) questions. 72 countries we're in now, grassroots all the way to MLB front offices. And Joy, I wanted to get a response from you today with Facebook. I want you to take a look at it because it had to do with my trip from my first Division One head coaching job from New York to Alabama, and I know you got some experience in the state. All right, yeah, I'll give that. I'll give that a look over. So, um, do you get a draw after about how many days? When did you start saying y'all? About well, I'll tell you what. That was actually the punchline of the the, the story. So I don't want to ruin it. So, I, y'all, I, I define some southern terms for people. So, y'all, just to kind of yeah, yeah. they always like when Yankees come down. That's uh, that's always a big thing. I can't uh, use guys. I can't say y'all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Let, well. You know, we'll give a quick introduction to to Todd Hollinsworth. Obviously, Todd, uh, 1996 NL Rookie of the Year with the Los Angeles Dodgers. I first got to meet Todd in 2003 when he joined the then Florida Marlins uh, World Series championship season. Very exciting time. Uh, Todd, of course, uh, went on broadcasting after a long career. Um did, was an analyst in in the Cubs system with the Cubs organization, excuse me. And then he came out to Miami and was doing Marlins uh, TV color analyst, Mr. Todd Hollinsworth. Welcome, my friend. How you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Great to be back with you guys uh, today, and uh, looking forward to talking some baseball. Always a good time with you guys both. No, I appreciate it, Todd, and I kind of joked with you because. Uh, Full disclosure, uh, you know, right now I'm doing some freelance stuff and, and got some ventures going on with the amateur side, seeing high school ball. And I had the pleasure of seeing Todd's son, Tug Hollinsworth, the other day play against, uh, he's playing at um, uh, uh, Cardinal Gibbons in Fort Lauderdale. Mm-hmm. And they were playing against Pines Charter here in Pembroke Pines. And I saw Tug get three hits, including a home run. Got videos of that. Great to catch up with Holly's family. And, and I kind of joked with him that, 20 years after covering Todd Hollinsworth on the 03 Marlins, I'm covering his son hitting a home run in a high school baseball game. And, and you know, but Holly, that's part of the fun for me of this sport. And what it says for the sport is it's a 
it's the connection with father son you know what i mean and and yeah. you just and that and that's the beauty of it and what do you what do you think about you know just the relationship building a baseball well i i really do appreciate you bringing that up i mean it really really does mean an awful lot to me uh to to have you see my son play baseball i mean how cool is that i mean how many people can say in life that uh, you know, you, you had the privilege of knowing people, good friends, people that you worked with, whether inside of baseball or even outside um, that you can share your family with. I mean, I think that in so many ways, life gets moving so fast and especially in baseball. Now, these kids are all over the place at a very early age, traveling around, doing travel ball. And it just, ne- you know, it's almost like you just never stop long enough to kind of see what's going on around you. And Jody, you, you know, for you to come out, you know, of course you were out there uh, the other night, Tug played great. I mean, that's my son. And that, I mean, that's just, a, it's kind of amazing to me. There's very few people, I guess, in my life that I can say, you know, saw me play the way that I did and got to know you. And we would call each other, obviously, friends, uh, you know, through a World Series run in 2003. And here we are 20 years later, 20 years later, you're watching my son play center field and, and have a big game in front of you again. Yeah, that and that's great. And you know, the irony too is I happened to see him play football in the fall. And I remember when I, got, when I was at a Heritage uh, Gibbons game, and all of a sudden I hear the announcer go, "Tug Hollinsworth." I'm like, "No," because <laughs> like, I did because yeah. last time I saw you guys were over at Calvary Christian, and and so then obviously we we hooked up and we saw in the fall too. But but that that all ties in, and and I think and if there's anything I'm hoping to with we're doing with these podcasts, at least from my perspective is I think the conversation and the stories of baseball are kind of being replaced by the analytics and the and the uh and I'm all for fantasy and the betting and such I know it brings in revenue but you know it it also tends to take the human side out of the sport and I think it's really important that the stories and you're passing it down are really important and how much do you obviously you have you know a number of boys who play baseball um that you know, the the fact that they can know a little bit about you and then them and, and when they get older, pass on to their kids. What well, does that it, mean to you? It means everything to me. Um, you know, my generation and I think myself just really describing myself as a baseball player. I, you know, I probably <laughs> didn't think at the age of 15 that I had a chance to play in the big leagues. I just knew I loved the game. And then, uh, you know, I started to get some attention from scouts. And again, this is really an old school conversation. I just turned 50 last week. So, uh, you know, this was kind of like old school scouting in the way that it worked. And, and um, you know, I wasn't a kid that was the best, you know, necessarily the best guy in town based on stats. But, you know, scouts would come into town. And they're like, man, this kid's six foot two already in high school. He's 205 and he's mean and he doesn't want to lose. And he doesn't, you know, like that's kind of how I was described. And I think some of the things that you're talking about now are the feel of the game. And that's I feel like one of the best assets that I ultimately had was the feel for the game of baseball. Maybe not the greatest tools. I certainly didn't have as you know the power of the guys that, that that were in my generation. There were other right fielders and center fielders who maybe had more range and had a better arm. But I felt like one of the best intangibles that I had for the game at, in, in my career was the feel for the game, seeing the game inside the game, anticipating you know, an outfielder dropping his head on a ground ball where you can take an extra base. Those are things that I lived for, things that I looked for. And, uh, you know, you use the feel, that word, that term, the feel of the game. Uh, I think in some ways it's probably disappeared a little bit, but I am keeping it, you know, I'm, I'm starting to get excited. I've, you know, I've been watching, you know, this April has been a lot of fun for me in Major League Baseball. There has been a little bit more feel come back to the game 
now that there's not as maybe as much shifting and, and, and guys are starting to steal bases again and they're starting to feel like, well, a feel in the game of baseball. No, no doubt. No doubt. And the, and that's the thing. And, and the human side of the sport is, yeah. is really the most important part because that's still how kind of look. I'm not any professional evaluator other than I've seen a ton of baseball throughout my life. And I have a ton of contacts that know the sport at a, at a level. And I ask questions all the time. But you, you look and you see and, and we'll we'll talk about the pros and the, and the big leagues in a minute. But I want to kind of talk even about development at the high school level, uh, the travel ball, because everyone, you know, it's, it's just part of it for that that. 10 to 15, 16 year old range, uh, you know, where, where you see the players that have a little bit of want to them. And we, we have, a, and we're going to raise this kid's name here. He's a kid, you know, I told you uh, the other day, I said, Hey, keep an eye on the shortstop for Pines Charter. You're of course, we're playing them. And obviously you want your son's team to win and do well. And I said, I like this shortstop Alejandro Puig at, at Pines Charter. And why did I like him? Because early on, I saw just little traits of his. You know, so he's athletic. I saw he had a little more power than I thought he had. I saw he he played the game right. He hustled. He did little things. And lo and behold, the kid hits a home run at the game. And you happen to bump into his dad and have a really good conversation yeah. with him. So right. just going to talk about that and, and, and passing along little stories that give advice to a 15-year-old who may not you know, be on a team of an ex big leaguer son, you know? So what, what do you say to like Mr. Puig? It, well, first of all, it was a lot of fun. I did. I, I, I bumped into him, uh, you know, as dads tend to do, and it's not just, you know, you know, the big league dads, I suppose, but we all tend to pace a little bit when our kids are playing. What I mean by pace is that I don't typically sit in the stands for two hours and, uh, you know, just watch the game like a typical fan might do. Um, you know, you're up, you know, your son's up third, he might be, you know, in the hole or, you know, he's in center field and they're, Hey, listen, there's nobody out there. So I can go kind of creep behind him and, you know, whisper in his ear and talk to him. Well, interestingly enough, as I was kind of wandering around the ballpark, uh, I bumped into a gentleman who had just retrieved a home run from the aforementioned Puig that you were just talking about and just hit the home run. His dad had raced all the way around from the right field foul pole all the way around the backside of the, the stadium to retrieve the home run ball. And he was so proud and so excited when he'd come back. And I, I had mentioned congratulations and he had said to me, uh, you know, in a little bit of broken English, Oh, Mr. Hollinsworth, I, you know, I'd heard that you were here. I, we knew your son was in center field. And uh, we just, we started a conversation. And of course, as the game goes on, my son ended up hitting a home run later in the ball game. Tug did. And Puig, he, he, Mr. Puig was the one who actually retrieved that ball too and, and, and gave it back to my wife, which, you know, made the story even in better. But, um, you know, watching him and his son, I mean, you could just see in his eyes the pride. And I think that that's in so many ways so valuable to our sport when you have dads and you have coaches. And I, and, and I, I didn't necessarily have a dad. I didn't have a dad who was, you know, all invested into what I loved. He was certainly proud of what I was accomplishing. Um, but what you see, like, but I had a lot of coaches and, and, and that was the great gift. And I, and I was so thankful for those people that found satisfaction and pride in my success and me being good because maybe they threw me batting practice one time or they had a hand or, you know, they were my coach and you still see that. I, I, I know that travel ball has done a lot to a lot of people because we, we feel like maybe the game is not being taught the way that you would hope to see it at the major league level. And you're leaving that responsibility on other people. But I really do believe that there are a lot of dads, uh, you know, who love their children. So, that, you know, that they're going to take the time and make it happen. I, you know, I, I was the first person to say, OK, well, listen, I'm working 
you know, my sons are going to have to figure a few of these things out on their own because it's baseball season and I'm broadcasting. Well, the last couple of years I haven't been. And so I've been more involved and it's really taught me and it's really opened a door for me to be more involved and to teach my, my, my sons the game of baseball. And that's what I love. And, 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 and to see them grow, to see Tug struggle a little bit this year. Now he's getting close to 450. He's got five home runs. I mean, he's just having a fantastic senior season. We couldn't be more proud of him. You feel like you have a hand in that. And that's what I saw in Mr. Puig. I mean, there's no doubt that he has a hand in how good and how young, you know, this young, talented player is and how good he can be. I saw the electric bat. I saw the great instincts on defense. In fact, one of the great defensive plays he made was actually against my son, who who didn't run the bases as well as he probably should have and tried to advance to third on a ball in the hole. And Puig came up on the slow roller and made a good strong throw to third. And they were able to get Tug out of third base. And Tug Tug was not ready for that. He was assuming this is going to be a lazy shortstop that's going to sit back on this ball. And I'm going to get the third base from second. Uh Uh-uh. Puig came in, got the ball, made a nice quick throw to third, and they got him out. Kudos to him. Great play. Yeah. And and again, that's... That's the thing. And, you know, I think I told you as I was walking over there, because I what I do customarily before the game, I introduce myself to both coaches. And if obviously if I already have history with the coach, we go and I get, I get caught up. I kind of get a feel who's playing well, how the team's doing, you know, what's ahead. And obviously I get the lineup cards because it's not the big leagues where I go up to the press box and it's already got it printed out for me. And, you know, it, and I can just log on to the computer and, and everything's right there and does like half the work of my research, which is a little different when I was covering you because all all those assets weren't there. I'd have to do a little bit more writing down, which probably made me a better baseball writer, to be honest with you. So that's what I kind of like about the grassroots because you, you kind of your eyes pick up. But but uh, Alejandro, he came running up to me and thanked me for for noting him in a story, which I did about a week earlier. And I told him, I said, no, thank you. I said, I, I'm trying to raise profiles of kids. And it's not just Alejandro Puig or, or Tug Hollinsworth, any any high school kid who's looking for opportunity. And if I can, in my small way, help by giving extra exposure. And when you do that, you bring scouts and they notice everybody on the field. And I told him, I said, I said, Alejandro, you, what you need to realize is people are watching you and you might think what you're doing um, that nobody's watching, but for a college opportunity, we're looking to see, you know, everyone, when things are going well, everyone's happy. But how are you handling it when your team's losing? Is your head up? Are you hustling? Are you doing? And I could see his eyes were locked in on me, Holly. He wasn't, I wasn't talking over his head like blah, blah, blah. Here's an old guy, you know, talking down to me. He wanted to hear what I had to say. And his dad, like, was very appreciative. He, he saw who I was and he ran over and introduced himself. Because that was the first night I met him as well. But that's the rewarding stuff. And like you say, when you're, when you're around young kids, if you could help any of these kids move on. And we're very blessed, as you know, here in South Florida, have so many good players. Right. And, and a lot of them are really good kids. It's just that foundation. Uh, before you answer, uh, Dave, you want to jump in? Uh, yeah, Ty. Well, first, happy belated birthday. Well, thank you. I, it's, uh, I appreciate that. I kind of, I guess, it was 50. So I don't know. Some of us look at it like, here we go. Here's the second half of my life. Others are like, wow, I got to 50 and I feel really old. So I, I'm not sure which one of those I am. Generally speaking, I feel pretty good, but I appreciate the uh, the, the birthday wishes. Yeah, I was I was a 50-year-old birthday boy last week myself. So we had... Uh, Congratulations. Kind of, That's awesome. My my question is we we're same generation obviously we have children about the same age playing the game um, with your messages to your son for instance and now you're helping out a number of boys but 
how do you tell him to balance the competition and the preparation to equal that development? Because that's the key. We all want to develop. It's different today with all the travel ball playing as opposed to when we were younger, where it was, um, you know, probably we were, we were not overtrained, I would say, uh, as they are nowadays. So how, how do you balance that with him? How do you communicate? Well, you know, in a, in, in, it's a great question, um, you know, but really I think that's where you start to focus on the individual side of, of who you're talking to. And I think that's where our personalities play into the type of players that we become. Um, you know, some, you know, some players are hungry, like my younger child, uh, Trey, who's, uh, you know, 14, he, you know, he, he will talk baseball with you 24 hours a day. He'll stay up, you know, way past, uh, you know, his time for to go to bed. And if he's in a baseball, con- he, he wants more of it. And then you have other kids who love the game the same way, but don't nearly, you know, want to put as much attention. They have, you know, uh, different things going on on social media and in other outlets at which, you know, entertain them. So, you know, all these children are different. Like when we were kids growing up, right, we were focused. If you fell in love with the game of baseball and you had friends who fell in love with the game of baseball, you were basically all brothers. I mean, we all would share it the same way. Like it was 16 hours a day. We didn't mind days off. I remember when I was a kid growing up in New Jersey, if you didn't have a game that day, it just meant that there was going to be a game in somebody's backyard for about the next four hours once school got out. So that's just really how it was. And, you know, being able to relate to these kids in in, in this way, the passion for the game hasn't changed. And I think that what I try to talk to kids about today is just understanding that there's more to the game than hitting home runs. Uh, there's more to games, you know, more to the game than, than saying I've got to throw hundred miles an hour at the top of the strike zone to get big league hitters out. There's so many different ways to be great at the game of baseball. And I do feel that many of our kids and, and you know, many of these young kids uh, today fall in love with the, with what the analytics tell them or fall in love with what the new age mindset for the game tells them. And that's terribly unfortunate, at least from my perspective, because what I learned in my time in the game was that there is a million ways to succeed at this game. And there's a million different body types and there's a million types of velocity and there's a million types of movement and there's a million types of swings and all of those combinations can work for individuals in a in a unique sort of way and it certainly can build its way to the big leagues i i say this all the time i say this to the young kids i said everybody wants to say, well, what's the common denominator of a big leaguer i said the mind i said that's the one thing that really stands out to me is the mind of the big leaguer it's not the the talent i, I played with just as many talented guys in triple a but maybe they didn't have it. Maybe they didn't talk the game the way that they needed to. Maybe they didn't obsess over the game the way that they needed to. And maybe that's a strong word. My wife doesn't always like when I use the word obsess, but that's kind of what it becomes. It becomes an obsession. You get so excited to play that day. And it's funny because like Tug is, you know, he's got senior, he's seen his senior game today. And, um, you know, most mornings I got to go in and wake him up. And I mean, he was already halfway, you know, halfway ready to go to school early today because he, you know, he's got a baseball game. So I guess that's my point. I mean, we could talk about this probably for hours and fill up this entire time slot talking about how these kids today can be encouraged to be better at, at this game of baseball. But I do think that, you know, and it's unfortunate that because of the analytical side of this, we've now fallen into this trap of teaching these kids what to go after, what to strive for, instead of striving for excellence or understanding the game um, in a different way. Like I, I, most of my education came from just playing from guy, guys that were slightly older than me. That's really all it was, um, that these guys are being told, you know, you've got to have a 90, 90 arm from the outfield. You've got to be able to, 
you know, you know, hit this way. You can't strike out this much anymore. That is starting to become part of the conversation. But the game and the analytics and everything else that go into it, these kids are kind of forming themselves and building their, you know, self-worth and opinion based on what the analytical numbers tell them. And I, I, I just I, I think that's that's a shame because I really think that most of these kids that the kids that feel the game are the ones who ultimately get to the big leagues. Yeah, it's a great answer. Great answer. Joe, I'll turn it back to you. Yeah, no, there, there's so much to, to hit on there. Well, it's, um, and I do want to talk highly about player development and you're, you're kind of, you're, we're touching on it. Um, and what have you noticed at the, at the pro level and what can be done on the, on the minor league level in, in this, you know, in player development, you know, we always hear that, Oh, they're in the PD department, they're over player development. But I think, one of my beefs I have is there seems to be a complete lack of patience and then player development seems to be predicated now on production. And so if a guy gets off to a a great player, gets off to a slow start, it's like before you're, you're grooming the player, you're saying, okay, well maybe he's struggling against the slider. So we're working on stuff against the slider. Don't worry about so much about the results. It's the minor leagues. What what do you see in, in, in that regard and how can we fine tune it? Well, I, you know, in, in, it pains me to say this, but it is my opinion. So I'm definitely going to throw it out there and I'm definitely going to stick to it. But I mean, it's very clear. I think that if you've watched Major League Baseball over the course of the last five to 10 years, you, you have seen a little bit of a pulling away from the minor league setup and the original minor league setup and the system that was in place. And so when I was an 18 year old back in 91 and was drafted by the Los Angeles Dodgers and was thrown into the, you know, the Dodgers system, you know, I, I was surrounded by too many coaches. And it seems to me today, I guess to give you a, the, the simple answer is that most of these kids are getting thrown in and they're, they're more, you know, many of these organizations are hoping that these kids are coming out of, you know, they'd love to take the kid at high school if he's coming out of the right program and he's been educated the right way. Like they want, it's, it's almost like they want somebody else to do it. Like I learned more from my outfield coach, my infield coach, my base running coach, my hitting coach. We had these, you know, not only at all these different levels, we had supervisors who were over the individual level. So, I mean, like, you know, instructional league and accountability, all of these things mattered. And all of this stuff was being documented and everybody was watching. I mean, I used to go to when I was instructional league in 91, my first year of 91. So it was my first year, 91 and 92 in instructional league, which is like before the Arizona Fall League. For throw throw it in the wayback machine was that you know we would be out on the field at five or six o'clock in the morning taking fly balls off the wall practicing picking up four seamers so that we didn't throw a ball that sailed on us to the cutoff man like this is the stuff that we used to do now I just don't believe it exists that way any longer and I think that most teams because it's not cost effective or efficient have decided that just like everything else we're going to make cuts we're not going to carry as many coaches we're not going to carry as many people we're going to lean on these kids being more prepared when we get them and hope that they develop and whatever it is we can give them and turn it into something productive. I look at the Rays and think that they're absolutely masterful at this. So kudos to them because they've been able to find a footprint as a low budget team in major league baseball, develop talent and, and, and get it to the big leagues and get it to, to, to product, to a, to a productive place. But I do feel like many, most organizations don't have the time or the patience to live through a rebuild and a re-education of uh, you know their players and commit and, and put enough money into their minor league system to to, to say that this is going to work. I mean, when was the last time we heard of a you know a thirtieth rounder you know becoming an impact player uh, at the major league level? Well, 
you know, one person yeah. will say, well, the scouting's gotten an awful lot better than it was back in your day. Well, I, I certainly can respect that opinion. But at the same time, I also believe that there's a lot of 30 rounders given the right education could impact the game at a, at a high level. And, and, and they should feel like they have an opportunity, not just a, a slight chance of getting there because they have the right teachers, the right people around them, teaching them how to play this game. No, I, I agree. And then and just taking it to the, to the prep level and bringing our friend Puig back into the equation. He's on nobody's lists. He's yeah. on, you know, you know, baseball America. They're not paying attention to him. A lot of the, the uh, traditional scouting uh, websites, they're not in on him. They're all watching the the projectable top five round picks and the major college D1 guys. And that's kind of the fun for me. And and I think that's where a good scout, you know, like I don't understand why a lot of these colleges down here, for instance, aren't having people, you know, looking for some of these under the radar, looking for these projectable bodies, athletic. But there, like I said, I've seen a lot of different schools and every school has has a couple of players that are easily college players. Right. You know, so I, that's to your point that, a 30th rounder, yeah, obviously your rounds go, goes to 20 now, but, but you, there are players, you got to find them. Yeah. Well, and you got to be patient to develop them. It's a great point, Joe. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, that was the joy of, of the game and of the sport was, you know, <laughs> I mean, I grew up in the organization that, you know, Mike Piazza went in the 62nd round. Believe me, we were all reminded of that. And, and of course that, that, that's what this is all about. Um, you know, I think Puig certainly represents that, but you know, there have been ways to, you know, advance the scouting area of the game. And through much of that is the internet and the ability to just kind of, you know, use other people's information. And that's, that's the, that is what you're talking about. And, and I agree with you wholeheartedly. See, for me, like laying eyes on a player, um, means more than just, somebody, you know, telling me about them or me reading about them. So, I mean, I know that I can do that and I can read the numbers and the numbers definitely mean something. But when you see a player, uh, you know, when you see it, you know, a, a Tommy White turn a Andy Painter around, you know, when one's a junior and the other one's a, a senior, I think this was, uh, you know, a few years ago, you know, I said this white kid can absolutely hit. He's the most impressive kid I've ever seen and, you know, hitter down here in South Florida. Um, and, and of course he's, you know, he went, and I think he ended up going to NC state and now he's at LSU. And of course everybody knows who he is now, but I mean, this was a kid that could take a fastball at 96 to 98 miles an hour at the age of 17 years old and turn it around. I said, he may not be the, the best defensive player. He may not, you know, whatever athleticism, I'm just talking about swing and approach. I mean, this kid knew what he was doing at a very early age. And of course he's having tons of success now, but I mean, here's a guy that basically he didn't go straight to LSU. He had to go to NC state first. And I kept thinking, Who's not seeing this kid? Who? What do you exactly. mean? What are you missing? I mean, I could tell you for days. I mean, this kid has the hit tool figured out. That's the hardest part of the equation. The other stuff, spend a little time with him. He'll get better defensively at third base. That's really what it, you know, whatever it is. But he's got the tool that you're all looking for. And you're telling me that, and, and again, not a knock on NC State, but I do know that, you know, I, I felt like, boy, it should have been every college would have been all over this kid. And not every college was all over that kid. It's legwork, Holly. That's yeah. what it is. You got to do the legwork. You know, right. it's me as a reporter. I take pride in that. Like, look, I could I could scale it back. I'm retired technically. Uh, but, you know, I'm going to a game at 3.30 today. I'm good. You know, it's like I don't have to do it, but you do it because I'm getting my eyes on as many kids as possible. And and it just rounds me. And then but I think to what you were saying is what they're doing is they're waiting for the Alejandro Puigs of the world. Just go to perfect game. And right. then then they'll see him there. Yep. 
And, and that's that that is, you know, th- th- there's more to a story than going to, you know, the the perfect game. And this isn't a knock on perfect game. I, I really do believe that, you know, in the heart of it, um, you know, what they want to do is create a system that works better for everybody. But I've even said to the people who are in charge there at a few different times over the last couple of years, I said, you guys would do you would do a lot of these kids a favor instead of just spending so much time measuring their throws from the outfield and how hard the ball is coming in. And, you know, because you're not incorporating accuracy, teach these kids some games. I mean, I, I said it to my, my other son the other day. I said, you know, you, you know what we need? We need to get a whiteboard and we need to have a whiteboard. I used to learn, we used to do whiteboard in the minor leagues, which I thought this is absolutely brilliant. You just take a whiteboard and you start talking the game of baseball, like base running, how kids understand first and third, like why my son Tug should had had no business trying to get yeah. to third base on a slow roller in the 5-5 hole the other day with Puig playing shortstop. This was not some chump shortstop who didn't know what he was doing and didn't belong out there. And he, he Doug just thought, I'm just going to take I'm going to take advantage of him. Like I take advantage of every, every other, uh, you know, shortstop in high school. And we came up and made a spectacular play and Tug was out by three steps. So both of them, you know, Puig made the play, but Tug learned the lesson. And that's again, yes. what we're talking about here. So like, I think that there's so much about this game that, that, that talking about it is what gets it, you know, gets players, gets these kids to the next level. And of course the commitment and the time, but and I, you know, you find it even in high school that it seems like there's just not enough coaches to go around. I mean, you look at, you know, how is, you know, how are, you know, one, one varsity coach, one pitching coach supposed to manage 26 kids on a daily basis. I mean, I, you know, I, I, cause you know, I throw batting practice down here all the time. God gave me one of those arms and I love to do it, but it's, it's so interesting. Like if I didn't help out really, I mean, these kids probably aren't even getting enough batting practice because you, you know, the coaching staff, there's two guys. I mean, they can handle it. I mean, how are you going to throw batting practice to all those kids every day? Yeah, and and in fairness, there are a lot of these coaches there, and the kids are doing everything. I mean, as you saw, you know, the rain. They, these kids are the grounds crew too. That's they're right. you know, their 15 kids are putting the little round uh, tarps over the over the pitcher's mound and home plate, and they're running around, you know, helping the coach you know, set up the hoses to water the fields when it's, uh, you know, a, a typical day. And the, and the coaches on the track, they're, you know, dragging the field himself. So they're, they're, it's not like they're not putting the time in, but to your point, it's like, are we talking the sport enough more than just, you know, talking plays? Hey, like you say, Tug probably doesn't do that play. And he makes that, he makes that error in judgment in, oh, I believe it was an eight to one final. Uh, it's like, that's a good way to make it. And if he helps them in districts and regions and so forth, uh, that's ideal because it is a game of failure. But how do you adjust the failure? Well, you adjust the failure by failing. And that's really what it comes down to. I mean, you have to be able to fail on the field. And that's what I tell my kids all the time. And I would tell all the kids out there listening or even the dads who are tuning in, you know, who have a hand in the baseball education of their kids, uh, you know, side on aggressiveness. Don't side on being passive. I mean, that's that's what you want to learn. You, you, your children will find out how great they can ultimately be by constantly testing the thresholds that are in front of them. Um, you know, can I put a little bit more into my swing? Can I add five or ten percent? Can I do that on a consistent basis? Can I be a little bit more aggressive on the bases? Can I lay out for balls? Can I, you know, what can my arm do? You know, all of these things change. And that's another thing, um, you know, guys, Joe and, and Dave, you know, that, 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 that I think is so interesting. You know, like these kids are changing. 
We'll watch a kid as a freshman. He turns he, he he might be a very different player by the time he's a senior in high school. You know, the, the the body start to grow into the body and you start to fill out a little bit. And next thing you know, you're like, boy, this guy was an average hitter. Now he's a power hitter, you know, three years later. And those things happen too. Yeah, I remember I remember Beckett back in uh it was probably about oh four, and he was saying, because uh, I asked I asked Josh, I'm like, you know, talk about your your arm slot and your in your pitching. He goes, he goes, when I look at film, he said, I can't even from year to year because my body is filled out and my my arm slot a year ago, I, I, my shoulders are wider now. So my arm slot is a little bit down, a little more to the side while a year ago is a little more over top. Right. You know, it's like, and that was the big league level. Right. You it know? happens. I mean, you know, these guys, they're going to change. They're going to get bigger. They're going to get stronger. I, I remember that was one of the first times, like, you know, I was kind of more of a, you know, a speed with some power, good arm. I just love to play sports, you know, type of kid that came out of high school. And I, I remember when it was like, okay, this is your job now. So you don't have classes right now. You're just going to play baseball. You know, I had the chance to get into the weight room and apply myself there and put on some weight and some muscle. Next thing you know, you're hitting the ball farther. And of course, the, you know, these kids know that too. They want to be able to hit the ball far. But what really brings a smile to my face, at least, uh, and I think I said it, you know, a, a few minutes ago talking about the major league level, is that I am seeing these guys really start to embrace playing the game again, finding ways to be awesome other than just hitting the ball out of the yard. Because that is as cool as it is. It's still the ultimate reward for a hitter is hitting a home run and running around the bases and having your moment. But there's so many other things to this game that make players great and make this game great. But without them, this game becomes very stationary and it becomes, to me, it becomes rather boring. And it's not that we don't love seeing guys hit home runs, but it becomes about strikeouts, home runs, and what's your final score. And that's really it. There's not the great defensive plays or the instinctive base running or the timely bunt or the taking of the extra base when the ball got, you know, two feet away from the catcher and nobody else would have gone, but you did and you made it. And next thing you know, you're the game winning run. I mean, all of this stuff matters, but it, it really matters to these young kids because they need to see it in the big leaguers. If they're going to see yeah. it in the big leaguers, because that's where a lot of the education comes from. If they see it in the big leaguers, they'll start attempting it the same way here in high school and they'll feel the freedom to play the game that way. No, no doubt. And, and, you know, we are seeing it over at the, at the big league level, as you note. And, you know, what I've noticed this year at the major league level is we're, we are seeing, and it's, and it speaks what you're talking about, just how athletic today's major league baseball player is. It's just some of these guys, even taking away the shift. I literally thought that ball up the middle was going to be a hit much more. And with even with the second baseman or shortstop sitting a foot away from where they're not supposed to be, they're making that play up the middle as if the shift was still there. Right. You know, so it, it is. Well, and I mean, again, that's just it. I mean, it's the, the great game. The great thing about the game is that there is no um, there's no rest. I mean, really, you're constantly as a player evolving. I mean, you know, we talk about prime. I remember when I heard the word prime, like what that meant. And understanding it like baseball prime, you know, 24, 25 years old. When I played, it was probably a little bit closer to 28. But I think that number's kind of backed down a little bit because the education that these kids have the ability to get and they're more prepared and they're more dedicated and they've had more time to, you know, really play this game. So, you know, we see 21 and 22 year olds get to the big leagues, fearlessly get to the big leagues and, you know, start flashing just incredible talent. Uh, you know, I think of Wander Franco with the Rays. I mean, this kid is just a, a phenom. I think he's still, what, only 20 years old. And, uh, you know, the polish that these kids have, it's because the baseball education was there. 
whether it was the parents, whether it was the program, but he was definitely educated in the game. And, uh, you know, it's what you want to see, and that's what you hope for these kids today. And if we want to see our game get better and get back to what it is, uh, or I, I say that in a very humble way, I'm not saying that, you know, what we had over the last 10 years was anything bad. I mean, it certainly was entertaining, but, you know, incorporating, you know, are we going to ever have a, you know, uh, you know, an 80, 90 guy, you know, stolen base guy again? Uh, you know, we ever going to see a guy with, you know, 20 outfield assists, you know, like how, how can we continue to push this game to get better with these kids who are clearly getting better, but you want it to all add up on the field. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm really quickly looking. I thought I, I think, is it Acuna who leads bases? Someone has like 13 steals already. Yeah, probably. I think it was Acuna. I might be wrong, but uh, I was literally looking at stats earlier yeah, today. Yeah, it's a good guess if you're yeah. wrong anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with but, you. Uh, but, but the point is, is they're running. <laughs> That's right. the thing. And, and, um, and guys are still getting thrown out. Uh, it's uh, if, if the catcher is, you know, is given a chance. So it's, it, it is, uh, it is a much more, again, they, they're so athletic. Holly, let me ask you this. Cause we're now, I think we're about 25 for most teams, about 25, 26 games into the season. And you're starting to see a little bit of what teams are supposed to be. Obviously the Pittsburgh pirates are going to run away with the central, right? I think they're like, 14 and seven or something ridiculous. But, uh, but when, do, when do you start seeing what a team kind of looks like? Well, I, you know, listen, you know, there's a lot of things and I, this isn't a knock. I, I, I guess I'll put it to you this way. And it's a, it's an easy answer, at least for me anyway, in terms of, do I, do I, do I believe in the race start? Absolutely. Do I believe in the pirates start? I'm a little bit more reserved. And I'm and the only reason I say that, and again, not in any way disrespectful, very, very good job. Um, Derek Shelton has done a fantastic job with that group and they, you know, they're starting to see the fruits of, of, of waiting and their patience and they're playing good baseball, but I think it's, I, I, it's imperative that they get off to a good start if they're hoping to improve. And I think that there's things finally happening in Pittsburgh where that can be the case again, but what typically happens, um, is that April will tell you something about a team and, you know, it probably tells you a little bit more about preparation than it tells you about the talent. And what we'll start to see in May and June when the temperatures start to rise is the talent, is the talent that these teams are. And do they come together? Do they start to play well? So not to say that Pittsburgh can't sustain it. I'm just saying that, you know, there's some pretty good teams in their division. Um, They've proven to be one of them in April, and it's certainly been an exciting story. But I will hesitate and I will probably hold out till at least the end of May to say I'm all in on the Pirates. No, you're 100% right. Because I remember seeing it was about, I think it was when Gabby Sanchez was a rookie, uh, maybe it was 2009 or 10 for the Marlins. And uh, they were like nine over, 10 over going into June. And I don't even think they were close to 500 when the season right. ended. You know, so it just shows how quickly it can turn. Well, and you're right. Listen, our you 03 know. is a great example, man. We yeah. were what, 12, we were 12 games under at one point. I mean, that yeah. was the thing. Most people had just written us off. And, you know, and, and of course, we were able to flip that around and turn it into a, you know, a world championship. I mean, that's my point is that it's that early that you can still make up 12 games. So you get a few guys healthy. I know that some guys are coming back couple of guys have gotten hurt. The Mariners just took a huge blow. They lost uh, Ray here at Ray, yeah. for, the, for the year. And I mean, that's going to be a huge blow to their dreams and their hopes, but uh, they're definitely deep. And I think Jerry DePoto is doing a pretty darn good job up there as well. So I guess my point is, is that it, it is too early to tell. You don't like to say that the baseball, I, I always hated that in baseball because I was, was always like, you know, these games count just as much now as they do in September. 
but they count differently, in, at least in the minds of fans, and they count differently in the minds of managers and coaches and everybody else because you feel like you can make up time where, you know, if you're in September and you're looking to make up ground, you've probably run out of games. So um, that's kind of how it works. Nobody's out of it yet. Nobody's having that conversation, but there's definitely been some really fun bright spots uh, in some of these teams that are playing great like the Pirates. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Dave, jump in. Yeah, you had touched on something earlier, Todd. You had mentioned all these external factors like metrics affecting how these kids shape their self-worth in baseball. They have so much more input nowadays than we have, whether it's social media or launch angles. Things are being shoved in their head. Um, is there a concern that these kids now are becoming a little bit more fragile because of that? It's less intrinsic and they may be fragile about exposing weaknesses. And, and, and how did you deal with that as a player? Because baseball is unforgiving. It's a game of yes. mistakes. And how do you- it's a very easy question, Dave. It's a great question. Uh, it's a very qu- easy question for me to answer because it didn't exist when I played, so we just ran into walls. I mean, that's the way that we played the game. Most of us all enjoyed it that way, and it was the fearlessness that we played with. We slid hard in the second base. We weren't about afraid about taking guys out. Um, you know, I mean, this is how we played. I mean, we were, you know, guys did things. Not saying right or wrong. Please don't read into this, fans. Um, you know, guys got hit for purpose. I mean, that's just the way that it worked. If things weren't being handled properly, you might get one in your back pocket. Things weren't, you know, guys, we didn't very rarely did I see head hunting. I mean, it definitely existed, but it was a different game back then. So then you incorporate obviously some of these analytics into the feel of the game to your point. That's where I hope and pray that, you know, we understand its place. It certainly should be there, but it certainly should not override the feel of the game because that is what makes this game great. I played in Chicago. I lived in Chicago for a very long time. And I used to go, I'd get off the train a lot of days when I was broadcasting for them. Even when I was playing for them, I I couldn't do it after people started picking up on the fact that I was taking the train every day. So I had to stop that as a player. But as a broadcaster, not really that big of a deal. But you walk through Wrigleyville and uh, on on a day game and and, and bars would start to pat, you know, fill up at 11 o'clock in the morning, you know, for a 1220 start or whatever, 120 start. People would be talking baseball on the street corners, and it was the it was the best thing you ever saw. I mean, you just loved it. You could hear it in your ears. You could jump in a conversation. I mean, it, that's that was the purity of the game, and that's the love and the joy of the game. I think that the analytics is okay, but I think that we're getting a little crazy here on breaking down like every little thing that goes into the game, and I don't know if it's necessarily serving these guys well. Because I also think that there's parts of this game where some of these kids are buying so heavily into the analytics that it's actually affecting their effort. Like when they say, well, my, my, you know, my, my miles per hour came down a couple of bit. Well, dude, maybe you're a little bit tired. Take a deep breath and find, you know, get back out there, you know, instead of it always just being, okay, shut him down. Something's wrong. Let's find out what it is. That can't always be the answer. You know what I mean? So you want to see these kids do both. I, analytics are very important. They've advanced our sport in a very positive way. I like them very much. Um, but we can't just rely on them exclusively. And if we continue to do that, it's going to ruin our game. It's going to become a stale game. And these kids are going to, they're just basically going to search for whatever the analytics um, tell them, you know, and, and, and if it's, this is what's paying, this is what I'm searching for. It's why I firmly believe that running has changed. Because guys are, you know, they were like, okay, well, running doesn't pay the same way it did when Vince Coleman Coleman was stealing 100 bags, when Juan Pierre was stealing 70 and 80 bags. Game doesn't pay the same way, so that doesn't, so I'm not going to run. And on on top of that, they're like, well, you know, I also don't want to run the risk of pulling a hamstring or, you know, you know, having something happen on the bases. 
Well, see, to me, that's all. That's more about preparation and not eliminating it from your game. That's something that you can advance because if it is disappearing, you be the guy that changes the game and brings it back. So that's what I'm hoping for. And again, combination of feel, combination of analytics advances the sport in a way that keeps everybody interested. No, it, it's great. And Holly, I think it you, you touch on something that on analytics with with the high number of them, like you could always find something. I think it has made excuse making, you know, very prevalent. You know, because well, it's almost yeah, like being blamed for it, right? It's, 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 it's like, oh well, I didn't really pitch that poorly because forty three metrics say I was good. Right. And, you know, yet there's 43 metrics that said you were terrible, but you're yeah, only looking was, at what supports what you think makes you feel better. Right. I, I was looking at a guy just a couple of days ago and I thought it was so interesting. Um, I was looking at his numbers and I was looking at his war value and I thought this is really interesting. You know, it was like he had a, you know, a 0.4, a 0.5. Of course, it was early, uh, you know, like half a point in war. And his record was 0-3 and, and his ERA was 4.5. And, and I thought, well, how is that even positive? Like they didn't win any games. You know what I mean? I understand the answer and I understand how it's formulated, but I don't know. I don't always believe it's telling us all the truth because to that point, the one thing you cannot measure in major league baseball is the mind. And you cannot measure the heart of a player when it comes down to it and the willpower that these guys want to put behind who they are. You can't measure that. You can measure the, the, the number that comes out, the velocity, the exit velocity, all that other stuff, but it's very difficult to measure the will of a man. Yeah, you know, it reminds me of in, in spring training or even maybe during the season. I don't know if you know Rick Hummel, uh, the longtime re- columnist uh, with the with St. Louis, who who retired, but he's still active. I just remember, you know, it was one of those seasons where the Marlins were being the Marlins, where we were like 20 under and the <laughs> Cardinals were being the Cardinals. They were fighting for the, the AL Central, or excuse me, the NL Central. And then, you know, it's like there'd be a moment in the game where the Marlins would be ahead and next thing you know, three weird things happen and they're losing. And he just kind of made note, that's what bad teams do. Yeah. And that's what good teams do. And I kind of stuck with me and he was right. Because you can look at every game and say, we were in it for three innings. We were in it for six innings. Well, the game's nine innings. You know, it's like, how do you put the, there's something to a winning culture is more than just using the word. It's doing the, the necessary execution at the right moments. And why are you constantly not executing at the right moment? And where's the analytics showing that? But if the analytics are just sitting around to, to save the job of a of a GM or a or a pitching coach or whatever, because well, you know what, the expected was better than the result, right. so therefore we're doing nothing wrong. Well, and that's what you know analytics can do sometimes is it, it loosens the, the the bind or or you know how how accountability works in a clubhouse because it gets to, to your point, some of that excuse making as opposed to, you know, just plainly and simply as Tommy Lasorda used to say to me all the time, Holly, just get the job done. You know I mean? That's just it. I mean, it's that simple. It's not, I don't care what it looks like. Just get the job done. I don't care if you break your bat, just get the job done. I don't care how quick this guy's slide step is find a way to get to second base. You know I mean? Like that's the feel of the game. That's the understanding of, you know, how can I be better without the numbers defining the answer? Because that's what this game is all about. Win the battle, right? Right. Win that one-on-one battle. All right. (laughs) The other night I'm watching watching Flanagan against Wes Broward, bases loaded in a tie game, full count, like seven foul balls, 
and then the pitcher won the battle but with a fastball up in a way that the hitter swung through. It was a great battle, yes. but the pitcher won the battle. Right. You know, it could have been easily said, well, I pitched great and I threw ball four. <laughs> yeah. Right. But he didn't. He didn't throw ball four. It went basically with the full count. He kept pounding the strike zone. The hitter, to his credit, kept fouling it off. And that's it. You won the battle and they end up winning the game. That's the joy of the sport. That's what makes us fall in love with it. It is the conversation at lunchtime before a Cubs first pitch at 1220. It's the conversation after the ball game uh, about, you know, something that we saw today that we had never seen before uh, by an outfielder who made a different turn or an extraordinary catch or a one-handed catch and throw or something just absolutely spectacular to change the outcome of the game. That's what makes this game amazing. And that's what we, we love. And I just hope and pray um, that this generation, and it's the generations, the, the, the few that have been behind me, um, still can find a way to love and appreciate this game for what it's worth. Not just the, like I said, the, the high fastballs at 100 miles an hour <laughs> that strike hitters out or the wicked slider in the dirt. Yeah, that's part of it or the home run. But it feels like it's almost like all that, that's, that's all we search for. You know what I mean? Like I'm not going to be satisfied watching highlights of this game unless I see a home run, two strikeouts, and uh, you know somebody walking it off. You yep. want to see the other things that make our sport so amazing. And I feel like they're starting to come back. It makes brings a smile to my face. I certainly still see it at the high school level, but I certainly hope that it's appreciated and valued the way that it should uh, at the major league level, because I do think that for a while, they're probably starting with my generation. We got away from it. Yeah, no, great points. And, and I'm as optimistic as ever, you know, as you know, especially seeing at the younger levels. And uh, Holly, we could talk all day. I know you got a full day and, and Dave uh, does a great job. And he's got more podcasts to do. Dave, anything last for Holly? No, I, I'll tell you what, you make a great point. I hope our audience is listening that, you know, we appreciate the science and the math as much as anybody as well on the show. But we just don't want to do it at the expense of the awe and the amazement that we appreciate in baseball. So I think those are great points, Todd. Amen. Well said, David. Yeah, this is this is great stuff. And uh, and Holly, we as always, I appreciate you carving out some time. Good luck to your boy and, and districts and 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 so forth. And I'm sure I'll be bumping into you. And and you're welcome anytime on this podcast. You know that, my friend. Well, I love you guys. You guys do a great job. You're you're an awesome follow. If I remember the last time I was on, I think you had maybe half as many. So I know you're doing it great yeah. job because the numbers are growing and uh, you're getting the word out there. And I know that there's certainly a lot of people here in South Florida who come up to me and say, where's your boy, Joe? I said, well, I don't know if he's going to come to every Gibbons game this year. <laughs> so um, that, that, that much, we are very, very grateful for and the job that you guys are doing as well. Certainly advancing our sport from uh, the grassroots level. Appreciate it. Dave, final announcements, my friend. Yeah, just again, 16,500 subscribers. I'm anticipating it going up today by a ton. Uh, we've got Jim Cott's show tomorrow, Cott's Corner. But make sure you download, listen, like, subscribe, rate, and review so we can battle those analytics of podcast world. Provide uh, We can keep providing you great content like we did today. Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher. Uh, that's our streaming apparatuses. Hit us up Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And again, hitting 72 countries. I'm trying to figure out what countries we're missing, Joe. I didn't even know there were 72 countries, to be honest with you. Oh, yeah. I stopped after about six. You're talking to yeah. the wrong guy. <laughs> We've got grassroots all the way up the Major League Baseball front office. As you mentioned, Jerry DePoto. He was a great guest on the show as well. And trying to build a better baseball IQ. And I, I know I got smarter today, Todd. I appreciate that. I know our audience did too. Thanks for having me, guys. I always appreciate it. All right, guys. For uh, Once again, we, we love what we do here on the Man on Second podcast on the Real Voices of the Game production network. And um, 
And we're going to keep doing it. We're going to keep bringing this great content. We'll be back next week with another one. Thanks again, Dave. Thanks again, Todd. And uh, for Joe Forsaro, we are out of here. Right, Todd, just hang with us for a second.